Welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast, sharing stories of transformation after pregnancy and infant loss. I'm your host, Bailey DeMars. Speaking of transformations, this podcast is brought to you by perhaps the most transformative product that exists for your skin, Promycin, an acne treatment that actually works and fast. My cute husband has had acne since he was a teenager, and this summer he used Promycin, and for the first time ever, his back was clear. I'm not kidding. I saw a difference after one use, and five days later, the acne was gone. Promycin comes from the Cara Poloni skincare line, and I love and use all of her products, including micro needle powder cleanser, nano silver spray, healing facial serum, hydrating kiss mist spray, and their lip balm. My favorite part is that every ingredient is natural and supplied by the wholesaler Bulk Naturals. So get your skin transformation started at carapaloni.com or simply just Google Promyosin. Hello, welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast. Today we have a lovely guest, Maddie Dockendorf. She and I go way back. We were neighborhood buddies several years ago, and I have been able to observe her journey, you know, by social media, and she's someone I look up to so much. So I want to welcome Maddie. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Bailey. I I totally appreciate it. Well, you know, I have a core memory that for some reason I always remember about you, and that is that we were working out. We both worked out of Vasa, I think. And <laughs> that sounds I just, right. <laughs> and I just remember you always went so hard, even up to the last days of your pregnancy and I admired that so much and my husband actually remembers that too he's like (laughs) that girl in our neighborhood she's like so pregnant and she is still working out so hard and so I respect you and admire you and always have well thank you thank you yes that's definitely one of my outlets um (laughs) working out has always been one of those things that makes me just feel better so yeah Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself then. Um, Well, a couple of fun facts about me. um, And Bailey and I were kind of talking about this off mic a little bit earlier. But um, yeah, we we go way back because um, we lived in the same neighborhood. Oh, my gosh, years ago. But um, that relates to my fun fact. So my fun fact is that we actually let me grab out my notes so I make sure I get this correctly. Um, we have moved six times in eight years. So it's been quite the thing. Me and my husband, um, we've, we've been married for eight years. So we've moved six times in eight years and we've actually bought 11 cars in those same eight years. So, um, that's kind of a fun fact about us. I guess we just like new things. It's, it's very strange. I don't know why we do that. Keeping it fresh. I like it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But we're hoping now that we have, you know, kids that are a little bit older, we're hoping to make um, our most current location more of a permanent location. Well, still, I'm sure you've created so many diverse memories in all of your different (laughs) homes. And, And tell us a little bit more about these kids of yours. 
Yeah. So, um, my husband's name is Mike. He's obviously not one of my kids, but you know, he's the start of it. Right. Um, and then my oldest son's name is Bronson and he is six years old. He's in first grade. Wow. It's crazy. I know. So crazy. Um, my second baby's name is Brooks and he would be four years old. Um, yes, he, he was my angel baby that we'll be talking about a little bit later. And then right after him was my little rainbow baby. His name is Bryce. So we have a bee theme going on there. If you haven't already noticed, (laughs) Um, and he is three years old. So he, he came pretty shortly after my angel baby. And then my baby baby, often referred to as a pot of gold, I've heard. Um, his name is Grayson. So we did break the B theme there. And he is for uh, about three and a half months. He'll be four months this month. So Wow. Oh, my goodness. So many boys. You are a boy factory. <laughs> that is right. Boys Boys is all we do around here. And you know what? I'm, it's just what I'm used to now. So it's just, it, I think it's just how life was meant to be. <laughs> I always think it's the cutest moms who get all boys. So you definitely fit that category. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and I think when I was there at Vasa observing your incredible endurance, I think it was when you were pregnant with Brooks because I um, hadn't had a child yet. And so I knew I wanted to be like you. And that was around, (laughs) I don't know, I could be wrong, but I'd love for you to, you know, start from the beginning with Brooks' story. Yes, of course, of course. So, um, it's kind of crazy. So my life up until having kids and being married was really, really simple, really, really good. Um, I had awesome parents, awesome family. Um, we grew up in a, you know, middle income, had an awesome high school experience, awesome college experience. Um, so I really, really couldn't complain. I just felt, I I honestly just felt so grateful for how life was. Um, And it's funny because I even have this like distinct memory of one time. I don't even remember. For some reason, I feel like I'm at the mailbox and that sounds so silly. But like, I have this distinct memory of just standing there thinking, I was like, I feel like I've had life too good, if that makes sense. I'd had friends who had lost parents, who had lost siblings. I had had, you know, an array of, I'd witnessed an array of things happen to other people. And I just would almost think I've had life too good. And I just had this like weird feeling, premonition, whatever you want to call it, that I was going to have a challenge in my life at some point. And it was going to be something that was going to be really difficult for me. But I didn't at that point know what it was going to be. I just felt like there was going to be something. Um, and so it was like a weird thing that that stands out in my mind because, like I said, I didn't I didn't know, you know, what it was gonna be related to. Um, but it's like it's like I knew something was gonna come, right? Um, so that's kind of how life was up until um we had kids. And then when um we had our first son, Bronson. And when he was about, well, he was exactly six months old, um, he 
I took him to his well check at his um, pediatrician's office. It was for his six months well check. And as my doctor was filling around in his abdomen, he found a um, like a lump in there. And I remember obviously the panic and everything. Um, long story short, since this isn't necessarily about him, um, we found out my son had a cancerous tumor at six months old. And man, was that traumatizing. I mean, he was six months old. We went through, you know, a bunch of scans, a bunch of blood work, a bunch of tests, the tumor removal, so many really hard things regarding that. And it almost brought me to my breaking point, to be honest. And I think at that point, I started to attribute that experience as being, you know, the most difficult thing I was ever going to go through, right? Because I'd watch my baby suffer. Um, and so that was kind of what the, what had happened leading, had happened leading up to, um, when we lost Brooks, it was, it went from really good to what I thought was my traumatic experience. Right. Um, and then fast forward a little bit. So Bronson and Brooks are two years apart. So like I said, Bronson is six and Brooks would be four and I get pregnant with my little Brooks and, um, Pregnancy had gone really, really smooth. Um, I was low risk, really nothing to worry about. And then um, I was 37 weeks and they did an ultrasound for him and everything looked really good. He was just squirming around. He was a very, very active baby. And um, I go home. And, you know, I'm getting ready for induction, right? I was supposed to be induced at 39 weeks for him. So <clears throat> that week, um, specifically after that ultrasound, and, and the reason being they did the ultrasound was to check for a tumor um, because they do believe my oldest was born with it. And everything looked really good there. So we were thinking, okay, we're just going to smooth sailing to induction. Well, that week, um, I did notice, so my Brooks was such an active, active baby, um, and I had noticed him kind of start to slow down, and we hear those, you know, wives' tales, those age-old, you know, babies slow down, they get, they run out of room, you know, they get too big, that kind of thing, and in my gut, I kept thinking, something feels off. Because Bronson, my oldest, never stopped moving. He was moving up until the second he came out. Like, he was very, very active. And I just kept thinking, this feels so weird. My Brooks was so active. And then he was super active at that ultrasound. And then literally the day after, he was slower and then slower. And I brought it up to my doctor. And he kind of told me the same thing. You know, they run out of room. Um, as long as he's getting 10 kicks in two hours, he's fine, blah, blah, blah. And so... I kept thinking about that. And then um, it's funny, we actually had this one last trip that we went on as a family together. We went to the zoo, we went to Spaghetti Factory, and it was a really, really good experience. But the whole time I kept thinking, something feels off. He's just a lot slower than he used to be. And so then um, it's actually interesting, Bailey. I think we were in the same church building probably on this day because it would have been when we were in the same neighborhood. But um, so I remember the morning that he passed, I went, I was 37 weeks and five days. So that was five days after that ultrasound. And I was in, um, our church building and we were listening to the service and 
I kept thinking, I kept telling my husband, I just can't get him to move. I, I was like, I think I maybe felt him a little bit this morning, but I just can't get him to move. And so, um, I was like, I feel like I need to leave. I need to go get him checked out. So, um, I left church and I told my husband, I said, I think he's going to be fine. I'm just going to go by myself. You stay with Bronson and I'm just going to go make sure he's okay. So, um, I just went by myself and I went into labor and delivery. I remember like shaking because this feeling just was not leaving me that something was wrong. And, um, they, you know, they kind of are slowly, they're like, when did you last feel him? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I think I felt him last night. Um, but I can't really get him to move this morning. And it was pretty slow pace because nobody was obviously alarmed at that point. And they take me back and, um, they hook up the monitors and, um, they're having a hard time hearing his heartbeat, obviously. And at that point, up until that point, I kept thinking, you know, he's going to be fine. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be like, this is silly. And they hook the monitors and they can't find his heartbeat. And that's when the panic starts to set in and I can just feel myself shaking. And I'm just like, something must be wrong now. And they're like, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we have a hard time finding them, especially if you know, you have the anterior placenta. So we're going to go grab the ultrasound machine. So they wheel back the ultrasound machine and they put it on. And the thing that stands out to me the most was seeing my baby boy motionless on that monitor. And she, the doctor just points to his heart and she says, do you see that right there? And I said, yes. And she said, it's not beating anymore. <laughs> and I just remember screaming. Because I didn't think it could be true. I kept telling myself he was fine. I kept telling myself nothing was wrong. Um, and the dear nurses just held me. Because my husband wasn't there. I told him not to come. It wasn't his fault. He would have been there. But they just held me while I just screamed. And I just kept saying, it's not true. It's not true. And um, so I call my husband. And I tell him. And he's just as stoic as ever. He just says, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. And um he heads over and then I try to call my mom and she won't answer and I'm just like dialing it and she's not answering so I call my dad and I said Brooks is gone and he's like what and I was like Brooks isn't dead and then he I hear him say to my mom Brooks is gone and I just hear her scream the same scream that I scream <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, man. I, it's been four years, you know, I just still have a hard time keeping it together. So anyway, um, my husband gets there really fast. Um, well, I guess prior to him getting there, it was actually kind of crazy. So my father-in-law was the, um, inpatient pharmacist at that hospital and, um, I think one of the nurses went and grabbed him because I was alone and 
before my husband was able to get there, my father-in-law comes in and he just sits there with me um, while we wait for Mike to get there. Um, so anyway, the whole um, birth of Brooks is a little bit of a blur. I was in so much shock. It's hard for me to actually remember his birth. Um, but one thing I do remember is having um, what what this hospital did is they called in a nurse that had had a stillbirth as well. And she came in and she delivered my baby for me. And I'm so grateful for her. She was able to walk me through the process. She was able to, you know, say, take so many pictures with him, write everything down. Um, she was able to walk me through a lot of things that she, she thought I should, I should do having experienced it herself. Um, and I distinctly remember uh, the labor was really, really hard. But when he was born, I distinctly remember her looking, he's crowning and she said, he has hair. And I don't know why that stands out so much to me, but I think it's because she was still trying to normalize his birth, right? She was saying he has hair. Like she was trying to get me excited for um, his birth because he's still my baby, right? He wasn't alive, but <clears throat> he's still my son and um, he had hair. And so that was, that was a huge blessing having her there during the birth. But um, yeah, a lot of the details around it are kind of blurry now. Um, the birth itself, I don't know if it's just my mind trying to forget it, but I don't totally remember his birth. Um, but I just remember how beautiful he was um, and how perfect he was. He still had 10 little fingers, 10 little toes, you know, a head full of hair. And he was just he was just perfect and still. Um, but that is one thing that I do remember is is when he did enter the the world. Um, and it was so different than my first birth, because when they enter the world, you know, you hear the crying and you, and you hear just kind of the sighs of relief when the baby starts crying and just all the doctors and nurses running around. And it was just, it was really quiet. The, the silence was really deafening, um, at that point. So that was kind of, that's kind of the story of his, of his birth. Sorry, that was very long winded. <laughs> I needed that time to catch up myself emotionally because that's so touching. The little miracles that happen, like you said, that nurse um, being so tender and humanizing Brooks for you. But I just can't even imagine because that was, you know, just hours before you would have never thought you would be in that position. So, yeah, absolutely. So were you able to do like any service for him or what happened after that hospital experience? Yeah. So afterwards, um, we actually had so many, so many supportive people come out of the woodworks. We had, I remember the, I think it was the funeral home that came and picked him up and the sweet young man. I don't even know. He seemed so young, just, you know, carrying Brooks out so gently and um, delicately for us. So um, we sent him to the funeral home and then we were able to do a small service a couple days later, if I remember right. Um, we just kind of invited our close family and friends and um, we had like an awesome funeral home who I believe donated the casket to us 
and um, we were able to buy plots next to him. So my husband and I will be buried next to him at the cemetery that we were able to bury him at. And um, one of the cool things is there were actually some plots available that were next to my brother-in-law. So my husband's brother passed away. Um, it would have been less than probably about eight years before Brooks. And um, so we were able to get him buried next to my brother-in-law, which was really special. And I felt very happy. And it was it was just a good feeling knowing that Brooks wasn't going to be alone over there because he was with my brother-in-law. And I never got the chance to um, meet my brother-in-law, but I know he's an amazing person. And so that was really cool um, having had that um, option. So yeah, we had a little service for him and we did a balloon release and it was, it was really beautiful. And we just had so many um, wonderful people there. And, and that's one of the things that I think um, I really noticed from this experience is there are so many good people in this world. We had so much support and honestly, I could not have made it through without the support of those people. And it's, it was our loved ones, right? So my mom, she would call me every single day. And my mother-in-law was always there. My sister-in-laws were, you know, cleaning my house and taking my kids, or I guess I should say Bronson, because he was my, um, my only one at that point, but, you know, babysitting Bronson for me. And there was just so many people that came out of the woodworks, but we also had like, complete strangers that sent us gifts or people I hadn't talked to in years. Um, specifically, I had a college roommate, um, Rachel, she's amazing. And she and her company brought over this huge gift basket. And mind you, I hadn't seen or talked to Rachel for a long time. You know, we had stayed kind of connected through social media, but they brought over this huge gift basket with, I don't know, Bailey, probably like I, I think like $500 at least worth of gift cards and gifts and stuff. And it was just, it was just such an amazing thing. There were just so many good people that helped carry us through this experience that I just don't know if we could have done it without them. Um, and I'll just never forget it. I'll just never forget the amazing people that came out and supported us during this time. Um, and I feel just, just super grateful to have it. Cause like I said, I don't think we could have made it without them. Oh yeah. It seems like, you know, you had angels watching over you that maybe Brooks, you know, had sent, sent some fellow angels to take care of his family when he couldn't be there. And I'm curious, did they ever give you any kind of explanation, you know, as to why that happened? Yeah. So, um, when Brooks was born, he came out with his cord really long. It was hypercoiled. So it's like, if you don't know what that means, it's just like twisted. And then he had his cord around his foot, his abdomen and his neck. So he, I, we believe because he was such an active baby, he kind of wrapped himself up in that cord and it was a little bit longer than normal, which made it easier to do that. Um, and so they did test the placenta and they didn't see anything wrong with the placenta. Um, he was slightly smaller than my, all my other boys were. Um, so we kind of theorized that maybe he was slowly losing a little bit of oxygen because of the cord being tangled like that. Um, because everything really, really looked good. Um, 
so I do believe that his movements kind of started to slow because he had grown to a point that um, he could be kind of tangled in the cord until he got to a certain size, right? And then at that point, I think it had started to cut off the oxygen because he had just gotten too big and was too wrapped up in his cord. Um, and that's that's actually one thing that I really like to advocate for and really like to focus on. Um, because I don't know if you are aware, but about 25% of stillbirths can be prevented. Um, and it's a really big push for me to make sure that um, what happened to Brooks doesn't happen to someone else. Um, because I do believe that Brooks would have been one of those 25%. Um, he, his movements had started to slow and I had felt like something was wrong, but I listened to the advice of doctors and everybody else over my own gut. And that is, that is one thing I obviously regret, um, but I've just grown to really want to advocate for that. So um, I always tell people, you know, kick counting is so, so, so important. And it's really just important to know your own baby's movements, right? So Brooks was super active, basically never stopped moving. Um, and that's why I knew something was off at that point. And so it's just really, really important to remember to do those kick counts, especially um, in that third trimester. So um, it's just recommended to start counting kicks at about 28 weeks and to count at regular busy times for your baby. So if your baby's typically active at seven o'clock, then sit down and do those kick counts every night at seven o'clock and just know what's normal for your baby. So um, maybe your baby will only move about 10 times in one hour. Well, Brooks would move about 10 times in two minutes. So like, wow. that's kind of, yeah, very active. And so that's what I should have been looking for had I been informed of that. Um, and so that's something that I really like to push for, especially on my social media and especially during the month of October, um, with it being pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. Um, so yeah. Well, I know I, for one, have really benefited from your message because um, I know that like the counting has intimidated me in the past because like you said, you know, it can be inconsistent throughout the day and I don't feel like anyone ever explained to me exactly how to do it. And so I just was like, I don't know if I could get an accurate count and then I would freak myself out and then I would start rationalizing like well if the counts weren't right or there was something wrong it would be too late for me to do anything about it anyway so like why stress about it you know I have enough anxiety but from learning from you I'm learning okay there is something that could be done like perhaps you know an early intervention c-section or, or something, I, I'm not sure what could be done. Do you know, like, can you explain a little bit more? Like, if you notice the, the kicks are slowing down, is, is there a way doctors can help? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when, th that's why kick counting is so important, is because babies' movements are what, um, are kind of indicating to us if there's something going right, something going wrong, right? And in Brooks's case, I do believe had I gone in that night before, they would have been able to do a non-stress test, um, which is basically where they hook you up and they monitor babies' heart rates. They want to get accelerations 
um, which is basically where the baby's heart rate goes up. Um, I think it's 15 beats per minute above their kind of baseline. And they want to get so many of those in a certain time frame. And that's what they're looking for. And that is the sign of a healthy baby. So um, I do believe if I had gone in with Brooks that night, they would not have been getting those accelerations. And then they'll watch you for a little bit longer. And then um, they can intervene at that point. So at 37 weeks and five days where Brooks was at, they could have delivered him and he would have been healthy. Um, because a baby can come at 37 weeks and five days. Um, my two babies after Brooks came at exactly 37 weeks and they were um, really healthy, both nursed really well. Um, and so I'll actually share you a story with you um, kind of on that note as well. So I've been advocating, you know, for the last four years, I do it a little bit more in October because I don't want to bombard people every month of the year, but I like to do it in October with my advocacy. And um, I think it was maybe a few months ago, I got a message from a friend of mine. So um, I did ask if I could share her story on my social media. I didn't specifically say on a podcast, but she said that was totally fine. Um, her name is Kaylee, and she is a friend of mine, but just kind of through social media. We don't know each other super well, um, but she I feel her very close to my heart now. But she sent me this message um, a few months back, and she said, Okay, I've almost told you this so many times over the last couple of months. Thank you for sharing this every year. Because of you posting about this, I went into the hospital for reduced fetal movement at 39 weeks pregnant with my second baby. When I got there, his heart was showing D cells, which is where um, heart rate goes under that baseline. So they induced me and monitored his heart closely. <clears throat> he was holding onto his umbilical cord and it was wrapped around his neck when he was born. He was dark purple, but quickly pinked up. I thought about not going to the hospital. I had not felt him move for over six hours. And in the back of my mind were these reminders from when from you that got me out of bed and to the hospital to have him monitored until he was born. So thank you. What you have gone through is unimaginable. Your baby is working through you to reach out to other moms. Um, and in talking to her a little bit more after that, she um, did say that she believes that my Brooks saved her son's life. And to me, that just, that makes everything worth it. Um, Obviously, would I change it? Would I have my son here? Absolutely. But do I feel so grateful that losing my son wasn't the only thing that came out of that, right? Um, that his life really did mean a lot and it saved another baby's life. And so um, I'm going to continue advocating <laughs> probably the rest of my life. Um, for everybody, just because I feel like that's what Brooks's legacy um, is. So yes, I support that. Do not stop because <laughs> you never know. Like you, you, you had no idea that she specifically was going to need that, and I'm so glad she decided to tell you that. And there could be others who haven't even been able to tell you, but you and Brooks have saved their baby. And, you know, I, even it, even though I'm not in that situation yet, I, I could be, and I will never forget what you've taught me. And so I'm really <laughs> grateful that you're not, you're not keeping it to yourself and that you're using your experience, which is so painful and so raw, but you're 
willing to talk about it for the sake of of saving somebody else and i think that's the most heroic thing thanks bailey well if there was somebody who wanted to ask you a little bit more about you know kit counting or you know stillbirth prevention is there a way that they could contact you Absolutely. Yes. I am always, always happy to talk to anybody if they have any questions about kit counting um, or, you know, how to monitor, when to monitor. I've done a lot, a lot of research on this topic. So I am happy to talk to anybody. Um, They can even just, I don't know, email would be great, a great first point. Um, And then we can even go from there if we want to exchange numbers or anything like that. Um, And I am so happy to answer any questions or walk anybody through kick counting and um, monitoring their babies. What a golden resource. I will include your email address in the description of your episode then. And again, I just really want to thank you for, for reopening that corner of your heart that will always be there but I know it's it's emotional to talk about but we love to talk about Brooks right so thank you so much yes for using his story for good and and for continuing to do that the rest of your life of course of course like like you said it's it's so fun to talk about Brooks I I could talk about him for I could talk about him for hours honestly (laughs) Um, and so I, I appreciate the opportunity to come talk about him on your podcast a little oh, bit. Well, thank you so much. And we will be talking soon, but you take care. Okay. Okay. Thanks, okay. Bailey. Have a good one.